Hi everyone, I'm Rosemarie Miller here with Kelly Phillips Herb, a senior writer here at Forbes, here to tell us how to beat high interest rates with the Bank of Grandma. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Kelly, I absolutely love that headline. Those are your words, Bank of Grandma. Could you tell us what do you mean by that? So I think a lot of us think that when we are looking to borrow money, we're gonna hit traditional sources, right? So we're gonna go to our bank, um, we're going to consider borrowing from maybe retirement accounts or other accounts that we have um, that may be uh, a little a little off limits, but, you know, we're going to raid them because we need money. Um, but a lot of times we don't think about the fact that there may be another source of wealth that's available to us, and that could be grandma um, or your parents or, you know, your, your favorite uncle. Um, it is uh, often the case that some older folks have access to liquid assets more than younger folks, um, and one of the reasons that that we tend to have our things tied up in addition to uh, younger people maybe just being right out of, uh, you know, in the job market and having some high loans, maybe uh, college loans, but a house, for example, tends to be the most significant asset that a person will own during their lifetime. And early on, when it is mostly owned by the bank, um, it's highly liquid. So once you've been paying into it for a while, you might have more liquid assets. So mm -hmm. one of the ways that, uh, you know, younger people can look to benefit from, and it tends to be younger people benefiting from older people, although I shouldn't say that as a full stop, because it may be that grandma needs to borrow from you, right? Like maybe your, your company, <laughs> you got a point. <laughs> your company took off and you're doing really well. Um, but intrafamily loans are a way that uh, folks can lo loan money to people who need it, and assuming that they have again, they're comfortable and they have access to those assets, but they can loan money to other family members that may need it at favorable interest rates. And we all know that interest rates are pretty high right now, right? So we're, we're looking at um, mortgages, credit cards, and student loan repayments at interest rates that might be either unaffordable or tight for someone who's on a budget. Um, and those folks may wish to pay them off. So these are people who want to repay their student loans. They want to buy a house. Um, they want to pay off their credit card debt. They have the, uh, the, the desire to do it. They just might not have the means. And so what the IRS says is um, that if you borrow money from basically any other person, but we're talking about families. So if you borrow money from families, from related parties, um, as long as you charge interest at a rate called the AFR, um, the applicable federal rate, and that is a rate that is published every month by Treasury, um, it's on the web and also in the Federal Register, as long as you hit an interest rate at that number or above, then they're going to consider it a legitimate loan. And those numbers can be four and five percent right now as compared to a credit card that might be 22 percent or mortgage that might be eight or nine percent um some of the repayment options for student loans are hitting like 12 percent so you can see that that could be a considerable way for somebody to make the payments that they wanted to make but they do it at a lower interest rate so it's it's a win in that regard so what are the potential risks that lenders face if they don't charge an afr minimum so if you don't do it uh, at the minimum, the IRS is going to look at it and say, you know what, well, one of two things, or possibly both. One, we know that this was really a, a gift, right? It wasn't a loan. You didn't do this the way you were supposed to. So we're going to treat it like you made a gift. And typically when they do that, the IRS is going to say that we're going to act like it was a real loan, even if it wasn't, which means the interest 
that was payable is going to be charged to the person who made the loan interest-free, um, even if they didn't receive that money. So you want to make sure that you have, you know, your paperwork done and that you've documented that you're going to charge at least this amount um, in interest rates. And then you also, you know, good paperwork would also say how long the loan is going to last, right? Because that also depends on the interest rate. The, the interest rate can change under the AFR depending on how long the loan is. And that's pretty normal because, you know, the, the loan rate for a 30-year mortgage is going to be different from, you know, your payday loan, right? It's the same kind of idea. So you want to make sure that that is in writing. And you also want to say how often you're going to be making those payments. And put all of that in writing just to make sure you're not going to have any, you know, any disagreements. So could you elaborate on the documentation requirements for interfamily mm -hmm. loans, emphasizing the importance of paperwork and a signed promissory note and how these measures help prevent issues with the IRS and potential misunderstandings? So, so paperwork, as an attorney, I'm a big fan of paperwork. So paperwork is always <laughs> good because then there's no misunderstanding, right? Nobody says later, oh, you said five and a half percent, I thought you said four and a half percent. Like there's not that kind of, of misunderstanding. You have a schedule, a repayment schedule. So that not only is that good for, um, you know, for the person who's receiving the money, but as somebody, I, I can tell you, I love deadlines because I put them in my calendar. I know what I'm doing when, right? Like, you know, when your credit card payment is due, it's really good idea to have a schedule that says, I'm paying mom and dad back on the fifth of every month, or you know, however. So you love out. deadlines. What is your zodiac sign? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Libra, actually. I love deadlines. What? It's giving fly. Virgo. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I, I love balance, and I think you achieve balance by documentation. So you know, again, you you you, you write all that down so that there are no disagreements. You're saying how much you're going to pay, when you're going to pay, and how long you're going to do it. That way, also, when the IRS is looking at it later, if they look at it later you can say hey we charged the right amount of interest we did all of this the right way another piece of paperwork that you might want depending on the kind of loan that you're doing is something that's sort of security right so the typical way we think of this is a mortgage so if i was to go to a bank they would take a note against the value of my home and they would record it so that if something happened i didn't repay them um, they could take the house back they have something of value you know, grandma can do the same thing. And even though it sounds like it's, you know, it sounds a little onerous, it's actually really uh, a good idea because it helps you keep track, again, of, of who owes who what and under what circumstances, right? Because you're reporting the mortgage. Um, so there's no disagreement about how much was borrowed, when it happened, all of those things. Um, but it also can give grandma a little bit of security in a couple of ways. One is if something were to happen, grandma gets your house, which, we tend to think of that something happening as being maybe you don't pay the loan back. And so, you know, that seems rather dramatic. But there are other things that might happen where grandma wants to hold on to that security interest. For example, what if you get a divorce? You bought a house with a spouse, you're getting a divorce. Who owns the house? Well, grandma owns the house, at least up until the part of the unpaid mortgage, right? So that way she gets repaid, even if it's something that's a little out of your control, like maybe it was your ex-spouse's decision not to pay, right? So there's lots of, you know, divorce is a good example. What happens if something happens and you pass away early? Again, we tend not to think we're gonna predecease grandma, but what if we do? Um, so recording the, the mortgage actually 
gives, I think, a peace of mind for grandma or your parents or whoever has has um, loaned you that money that they know that they're either going to get those payments or they're going to get the money that they loaned to you back at the end, which is so how can the strategy of making interfamily loans be beneficial for middle class families with smaller loans and what creative planning opportunities arise at higher income levels leading to additional savings, including for estate and gift taxes? Well, so I think, again, when we think about um, these interfamily loans, we're thinking about rich grandmas, right? Like our, our mind immediately goes to like Emily Gilmore, right? Gilmore girls. So that's sort of, I think, where people think are going. But, you know, sometimes I think the average student loan, and this is before the repayment started, was something like $35,000. Um, it's a lot of money for a uh, somebody just out of college to pay back, especially at these high interest rates. But it might not be a lot of money for a grandma because she might have that in a CD that's easily accessible, right? So she could loan you the $35,000. You pay her back. You pay off your student loan. Everybody's happy. Um, that is something that can happen at the, the middle class level, and you have you have the benefit of getting the lower interest rates. Grandma gets a stream of income, again, probably equivalent to the same things she would have in a CD or a savings account. It's going to pay around and maybe more than she would have been getting. Um, so, you know, in terms of economics, each of you are going to benefit. Um, and again, if it's something like a home or another tax break, student loans could also fall into this category. Um, you get to preserve those tax breaks just because you're borrowing the, the money from grandma doesn't always translate into losing that tax break. You know, there are some considerations you have to look at, but you know, it's the general premise is that it still could transfer over. Um, and so that's a really good way for the middle class to benefit. Um, at the at the high network level, there's a lot of planning and creative planning opportunities you can do. I'll just mention one of them, um, which is that, uh, well, actually I'll mention two. So one is that you can gift a certain amount of money every year to um, people without incurring a gift tax. And that is uh, currently, I think, going to be 18000 in 2024. Um, and so that means that you can give that money without a tax consequence to uh, anyone that you choose. If you are in a position to loan this this money to uh, someone in your family and maybe they weren't in a position to pay it back or maybe they paid it back over a number of years and you think to yourself, you know what, you've been so responsible this whole time, I'm going to forgive part of this. That gift could be used, you could use your annual exemption that we just talked about, sorry, the annual exclusion that I just mentioned, the amount of money that you can give to a person per year to forgive that tax rate. So there can be an, a, a good advantage there. There's also some strategies where you can create trusts um, and sort of start building family wealth and then loan against the trust. Those are, uh, the, the arrangements are actually called intentionally defective grantor trusts. We sometimes call them IGIT trusts, um, but IGIT trusts are defective grantor trusts. It's this little quirk in the tax code that allows someone to set up a trust for estate tax purposes and move money outside of their estate. But for income tax purposes, the IRS looks at it and says, but you still own it. Um, and that actually creates, that dynamic creates a lot of opportunity for planning. It can get pretty complicated. That's the kind of thing that you definitely want an advisor for. But if you're in that higher net worth strategy, or sorry, in, in that higher net worth category, and you're looking for ways to loan money um, beyond just writing a check, and actually get some additional estate and gift tax benefit, um, something like an intentionally defective grantor trust 
scenario kind of tied to an interfamily loan is a really good way to do that. Wow. So this is how to beat high interest rates with the Bank of Grandma. Thank you so much for joining me today, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.